narcissists, psychopaths, and abusers, oh my! Welcome to Bitch Out of Water, a show about experiencing life, dealing with humans, and ourselves. We are the World Girls. I'm Dorina. This is Steph. This is the best Wizard of Oz remix ever. Also scary, but excited to see what unfolds. <laughs> this is Roxy. There's no place like home, and I've experienced it all at home. Isn't that the truth? Well, today we're talking about dealing with high conflict people. And to help us with this topic, we are thrilled to have our first guest, Dr. Drea Letamendi. Dr. Drea is a licensed psychologist with a bachelor's degree from Cornell University and a doctorate from UCSD. She serves at UCLA as a mental health advisor and well-being strategist. As a pop culture enthusiast, she's been featured in commentaries for film and television produced by Disney+, CNN, MTV, and Warner Brothers. And she also has a TED Talk about resiliency and superheroes called Capes, Cowls, and Courage. Welcome to the show, Drea. Or should I call you Dr. Drea? Either is fine. It's such a pleasure to be here with all of you. Um, wow, what an intro. Thanks for that. What a resume. <laughs> exactly, Roxy. Sometimes I forget that I did some things, and it might have been because it was before the pandemic. Oh, pre-life. Yeah, we need our like ADBC, but with pandemic, or it's pre-panini, post-panini. Panini, it's a nice way to call it. So, Drea, we are so happy that you're here, uh, not only because we love your work and you actually do really meaningful work and help so many people out there, not just uh, the superheroes and villains of the world, but this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and I think a lot of people here, Roxy, Steph, we've all dealt with narcissists or abusers or all kinds of high conflict people. So I'm sure our audience has as well. And I would love it if you could please just walk us through what that means and what is a high conflict person. Yes. And all of you are absolutely correct when you think about the possibility that you've dealt with or interacted with somebody who is a high conflict person or an HCP uh, for short. I just first want to say this is not a diagnosis, this is not a condition, we're really not trying to label folks, but I want to think about this or introduce this idea that has been formulated and studied in psychology that lets us know that like a small fraction of people have some difficulties relating to others and will say that, okay, they are difficult people or they have high conflict personalities. And the way that we would identify them or know that we might be interacting or encountering somebody who's an HCP is how we feel. Often we feel blamed, we feel uh, anxious, we feel low self-esteem, sometimes we feel actually scared. So there's a lot of intense reactions we feel and that's like one of the first ways to get a sense, like maybe have a red flag that you might be encountering someone who's an HCP. I'd say that there are like four main traits and we can talk more about the different types of HCPs because of course this is psychology. So like we are going to have all these different categories and types, but mainly what is common among HCPs is that they are blamers. So you'll notice this behavior. They are sort of unwilling to take accountability for, for their actions. They have extreme behaviors. So these are folks that like, we'll pause and be like, I can't believe that person just did that or said that. They have unmanaged emotions. So folks with intense outbursts or will go from zero to 100 in terms of their emotionality. And then lastly, the way to kind of capture all of this is that they have this all or nothing thinking, that they really think in the extremes. Either someone's all good or someone's all bad. Either a situation is all one way or all another way. So it's like a real rigid style of thinking, not very flexible or easy to work with. And can some people be HCPs sometimes? Or if you're an HCP, you're an HCP? Yeah, good question. The way that we think about this is kind of like an enduring personality profile or an enduring personality style. So it's very unlikely that someone is just an HCP for a day or for a situation. And I think this is super helpful, right? Because you, you could have a bad day and, you know, 
lose your temper and even like yell at someone you care about. Or you could think of a situation that you dealt with poorly or that you felt like, you know, maybe you made a few mistakes. You know, we're not perfect. There are certainly times when I think all of us have moments where we feel like we're in high conflict or we're really emotional. So I'd actually say, Roxy, that an HCP has almost a lifelong enduring experience of being a difficult person that they likely don't even recognize that they're externalizing conflicts toward other people. And they may not even know that there's something wrong with them or that they're a difficult person to deal with. And Drea, is this something that happens to people because of like all of us are childhood traumas? Like how does one become this person? Actually, that's a, a great question because it's really yet to be determined if this is due to some kind of early childhood experience like trauma or hardship or living with other people that are HCPs. The best way to answer this, and, and by the way, uh, a lot of the information that we know comes from an institute called the High Conflict Institute. So there's a, a, a ton of researchers and experts in this area. But to answer your question, it, it's likely that there are multiple contributors to how someone might develop into an HCP. It could be that they only saw in their environment a rigid style, and so they kind of adapted that. A lot of it could be genetic, and when we talk about the different types of HCPs, that's going to make more sense. You know, and furthermore, it is about one in 10 people, maybe about one in 10, maybe two in 10 people. It's a lot. Yeah, we've actually found that HCPs are increasing, which is kind of an interesting finding. You know, why is that happening now? Is it because of the internet? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, the pandemic has been hard on us. Uh, it could be that we're exposed to more people. And so many of us are recognizing HCPs in our life. Um, but what I usually tell my clients and companies that I work for, because HCPs actually show up at work, they show up in relationships, they show up at family reunions. What I usually tell folks is all of us at some point will encounter an HCP in our intimate and personal relationships, in our work life, in our kind of community and in some cases, you know, in our families, as I described this, I'm sure some people are thinking about someone in their family who fits this psychological repertoire. So it's, I think it's better. I know it can be kind of daunting, but I think it's better to just anticipate that we're going to be dealing with HCPs and that it's something we can be open to rather than try to like avoid it. Because I, I think that's just going to be more difficult. So you're saying somewhere between 10 and 20% of people are HCPs, but that it's not a diagnosis. So what is it if it's not as set in stone as a diagnosis? That's a good clarification. It is a personality style. It's basically like a type of style that's related to interpersonal functioning. The way that we can kind of compare this is that some people have social anxiety. This is a completely different condition, but a lot of us can have some level of social anxiety. Like maybe we get nervous in certain places, but there are only some, there's a smaller percentage of us that actually will meet for a mental health condition called social anxiety disorder. So we think about that with an HCP population that if, you know, one in 10 or two in 10 people actually are HCPs, it's not as if they have this diagnosis, it's that they have this kind of shared characteristic in their personalities. And, you know, in saying that, yes, there are some diagnoses, there are some mental health conditions that have some overlap with this kind of personality style. You mentioned we're going to talk about the different types of HCPs. A lot of the characteristics you're describing is what I found in partners or relationships I've had of narcissists. And I'm wondering, is that a kind of HCP? Is that in the same realm? Totally. Yeah, we can dive right into the different types because that, that's one of them. And as I say describe this too, when I work with people and this comes up, sometimes people will say like, wait a minute, am I the HCP? Is it me? <laughs> am I the drama? Yeah, like it's a totally natural thing to think. And, you know, again, well, let me first say, if you if you think you might be the HCP in your family or in your workplace or whatever, chances are you're not um, because an HCP doesn't have that level of insight. 
we can all breathe a little bit. <laughs> Typically, they don't have that level of insight because it means that like you care about how you're impacting other people. You care about, you know, whether you have an influence on others in a positive or negative way. And that kind of interpersonal reflection just isn't something that's common among them. But nonetheless, it's important to think about the different ways in which we could have those tendencies. And I think this gets right back at Roxy's question too, which is, I don't want to think so much in categories or in binary, like you either have this or you don't, but maybe along kind of a continuum, like some of us might have some of these tendencies and the HCP word is, or label is simply to help us make meaning of um, a, a common set of uh, characteristics and features that are specifically difficult to deal with. And let's start with narcissism. So there's five different types of HCPs. Narcissism, I think, is likely more common than some of the others. So it's the one we might see the most. This is, not surprisingly, somebody who has a such a fragile ego that they need to come off as or experience themselves as um, superior to other people. So the, the narcissist high conflict person is going to be very apparent in that they will definitely be blaming others for just about everything. They don't want to hold accountability. They don't want to be responsible for any problems. And, you know, obviously someone like this will have a lot of grandiosity. So they're going to need to be smarter than, better than, more attractive than, more successful than everybody around them. Um, and it's really hard to be around someone like this because they don't really see the evidence that there are times when they're not the best. So when they're the worst for other people is when they're triggered. And so they will start to kind of attack others in terms of their appearance, their success, their accomplishments. And I, I think that can be that can be hard to deal with if, if you have a, a narcissist or, or an HCP who's a narcissist in your life. The second less common type is the antisocial HCP. And so this is somebody who is, you might call them a sociopath. I tend to not use that word, but I think sociopath is like a commonly understood word. Someone who's a sociopath is um, likely going to be harmful to others. They may use language or even physical ways to harm others. And when they're triggered, it's when they're not in control. And so they're going to find ways to get control of the situation. And sometimes that means abusing other people. Sometimes that means being, being really harsh and mean to others. The third kind is histrionic, which is kind of an emotional word. It means that somebody must be the center of attention and be constantly involved in drama. And so when things are calm and smooth and kind of stable, this you're going to hear from this person. This person's going to stir it up and they're going to want to gain the attention. And you know, even if it's negative attention, they want to gain attention and get control back to uh, the situation. And then the last two are paranoid and borderline types, which are, again, you know, not as common as the first few. And the paranoid person is constantly seeking reassurance, constantly trying to persistently check in on relationships. You know, are you cheating on me? Are you doing something behind my back? Are you telling secrets about me? Are you trying to dirty up my name or my reputation, that sort of thing. And then the borderline person, which uh, translates real closely to the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, is somebody who is really, really just stuck in unhealthy negative relationships and will have constant need to be appreciated, loved, and um, involved in relationships to the point that other people in that relationship feels trapped, feel smothered, um, feels it's unhealthy, and so they'll try to push them away. So those five would be narcissist, sociopathic, histrionic, paranoid, and borderline? You got it. So we're working with a lot of different kinds of people as HCPs. Okay, good. We've got our pick of the litter. Whew. Yes, indeed. With the HCPs, anytime I've dealt with someone who I has some of these characteristics that you've mentioned, the only thing that I've done successful, I feel like, 
is exit the situation or the relationship. And I'm wondering if there's other solutions or when it's too much and the only option is to do that, to retreat. I am going to talk about some ways to interact and deal with people who are HCPs, but I will say at any time, if you are being threatened, if your life is being threatened, if your personhood is being threatened, there are some rare cases, but in most of those situations, the best option is to separate from that person, is to find safety and security. And then there are ways to further engage with them if that's like a partnership, a family member, or a spouse, whatever, you know, certainly there's more steps to that. But some of the things I'm, I'm going to be talking about have a lot to do with approaching the person in the situation and being somewhat open to bettering the relationship or at least the conversations with someone who's an HCP so you don't feel like absolute shit every time you interact with them. And that's kind of what I'll start with is the idea that, you know, again, you know you're dealing with an HCP when you feel a certain way in your body. So if you're introceptive, if you kind of look are able to look inward, you'll notice there's actually a, an acronym we use for this. It's called WEB. W stands for words. Listen to people's words. Are they saying, no, it's your fault? I, I didn't do anything wrong. Are they talking in extremes, that all or nothing thinking, or the blameful language? Remember, you know, try to pick up on that language, whether it's in, in a social media communication or verbally. So that's words. The E is emotions, and that's kind of what I've been getting at is what does that stir up in you? Do you have the fight or flight response? Are you feeling afraid? So there was somebody who years ago um, was my hair colorist. And every time I had an appointment, I just felt a certain way after the appointment. I felt blamed. I felt like th that I needed to apologize for things. And, and this is somebody who colors my hair. And so the topics are not really that personal. And yet I would walk away feeling so vulnerable, just kind of fatigued emotionally and even feeling like totally dysregulated. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to label that person, but those are the feelings I'm talking about. Do you just kind of feel like emotionally really raw? Do you feel your heart rate is up every time you interact or feel like you're about to have a conversation with this person? Do you feel a physiological dread? Like, oh my gosh, I, I know I'm not going to feel well. Also, by the way, these can be charming folks. So the opposite is kind of true too. Do you feel kind of wowed by them? Do you feel like, oh gosh, what a charismatic person? Uh, that's a red flag because that means they know how to kind of like draw people in. They use their physical attraction or their, their social acuities to like kind of draw you in. And, oh, that's, that can be the worst because you actually enjoy talking to them at first and then things go downhill from there. I feel attacked. <laughs> Literally. It is the worst hook in sync or whatever the expression is. I just feel like I am the type that gets trapped by charisma. And now I'm starting to realize that the flip side of what a charismatic personality can be. Absolutely. And there aren't a lot of studies that show like any gender differences, but I, I totally agree with you. I feel like I definitely have had moments where that kind of person would kind of make me forget and even be blind to other situations or other characteristics. And then the B is behaviors, which is often like we need to take a look at how people show up because people are eventually going to show up as who they are. So what are they doing in the places that I work? It's, are they trying to lie? Are they being hurtful and harmful in their language? Certainly anybody that will be openly insulting to you in front of other people, someone who will, you know, drag you under the bus, somebody who doesn't have your back. So these are kinds of some of the behaviors that you might notice. So that's a good way just to kind of recognize whether you're dealing with someone who might need a different interaction. And I have heard this before where people will tell me, wait, so you're telling me, because I'm about to give you some tools and techniques on how to manage this. And I think an, a very natural reaction is like, okay, so somebody is really messed up and I'm the one who has to act differently or do the extra work or like change how I interact with them. And the truth is, to some degree, yes. 
because generally speaking, they're not realizing how this has impacted you or they don't care. And they're likely not going to change their behaviors to a great degree. But we can approach them as if they have a slightly different operating system. Okay, we know that the histrionic person might be more prone to wanting to attach to drama. We know that the narcissist is going to find ways to make it about them and so forth. So our social responsibility here, especially one that helps protect us, is to to kind of interact with them in a very structured, calm way. So because they don't have boundaries, they're willing to, to go wild and rogue, we kind of have to do the opposite, right? We've got to create structure we have to create boundaries. We have to use calm and very logical approaches and try to pull back our emotional reactions. So Steph, that's sort of addressing that question of how do we deal with folks like this if we're not in a situation where we could completely avoid them? Yeah. Speaking of not being able to avoid them, what if you are possibly raised by a narcissistic parent? So in those situations, are there different levels of different types of narcissists? Can narcissists show or have any form of empathy? Is it all about their ego? And if you do have a family member that's like that, how much responsibility do you have to be able to deal with them and love them and care for them? And to what limits can you get to before you say, I don't think I have can have a relationship with you anymore? Excellent question. You know, the first thing I'd say is this is more common than people might believe. So if you're in that situation, you know, anyone listening, if you're in that situation, it can feel lonely. It can feel so frustrating. You know, again, usually it's the folks that are not high conflict people that feel frustrated and upset and even traumatized by this. So it's hard, you know, it's really hard. Some of the things that we do can be protective uh, during a, like how we manage those interactions, because I tell you, if we go in and this gets back at the feedback I've gotten of, wait, I have to change. And it's more or less like, well, I don't want you to go in so vulnerable to these situations that make you feel worse, right? Make you feel traumatized, make you feel less than. So it's okay to create for you some boundaries, autonomy, find ways logistically, personally, that make you less dependent on that person, whether it's financial, housing, emotional, this is a long-term work, right? Um, but embrace and acknowledge the things that you do have control over and that you are autonomous around related to that person, when they are in the family or there's a, a relationship that can't necessarily be, be cut or separated from us, then we create ways to communicate that can be healthy for us and at least give some signals because the styles of uh, HCPs kind of make us like want to yell at them. It makes us want to like talk about them to other people. It makes us want to do bad things to them. Like that's natural. And we've, we've got to recognize like, oh, yeah, I want to slash their tires. Wait a minute. I should probably curb that because that's them getting to me. That's not, I don't, that's not me. I don't slash tires. I don't do this, right? So it's awesome and always great to like take a moment and recognize who you are and what you're about. And typically you're not about that. So that's one thing to do is kind of check yourself around like the way you want to react. The other piece is the verbal interactions. And um, we actually use this acronym called BIF. We, we love acronyms. So the acronym is BIF. And it's basically be brief, be informative, and be firm. So a lot of times, whether it's like talking on the phone in person or over email, and a lot of this actually can happen over email or texting, is that they want to instigate something or create drama or conflict and then the brief part is just keep it short to, you know, a couple sentences. The I is just the information. Just, you know, I know I, you probably feel like saying, shut the F up. This is really what's going on or whatever. But with this person, it's important to just simply give the facts. We are meeting up at nine or the family dinner is at six. I will see you there. So the F is for firm. It's 
essentially, you know, stick to the point and don't be loose or wishy-washy or like unclear. I will see you then. Have a good night. And that is not always successful, but at least we'll create those that structure and the parameter because otherwise they're going to really try to get that language from you, that visceral emotionality from you. And that's really what's going to fuel them to continue to do what they're doing. As a follow-up to that, you earlier mentioned that narcissists typically act out when they are triggered. So how do you go about not triggering a narcissist? This is such a great question because folks have shared with me that when they are close to a narcissist, they feel like they're walking on eggshells. It's like no matter what they do, they still get the same, you know, big reaction. No matter what they say, they've tried all these different things. And so we feel like we're kind of in a landmine and it's incredibly frustrating and it can be scary if the narcissist has outbursts or is really belittling. But I think, you know, one of the helpful things is to utilize that interpersonal awareness that we've been talking about. And I'm not suggesting you create a diary around this, but just kind of understand their repertoire. Like, oh, I noticed whenever we talk about work, this person really amplifies their narcissistic reactions. Or, oh, whenever I talk about my family, they, or my partner or whatever, they have these like real rude outbursts or really belittling comments to me. So it's helpful to kind of think about each person is going to have a different trigger. So it's helpful to think about and look back on like what have been the, the topics and the statements that have made this person explode or amplify or attack. And I think that's where you start to generate an understanding. And yeah, it means you have to think about your vocabulary, your own conversational repertoire and make some adjustments just out of self-protection. Dorina actually gave us all this book called All About Love by Bell Hooks. And I've been reading and it talks about how a lot of us have the wrong definition of love. And pure love can't exist in a place with things like narcissism, I would say. And you spoke a little bit about the relationships of a parent, but for people who are find themselves in a marriage or a partnership with children and there's a long road ahead, is there a potential for love there? Can How would one go about working on that if there's not really a plausible, easy way out from where you are, if that makes sense? There are some cultures and some families where separating from family members is so taboo. You know, I I know there's a lot of discussions right now, especially in the political climate around like ghosting family members or cutting people out of your lives. And that is not easy to do. And in some families, it's just not an option. Um, So I think it's important to be reparative. And I I like this question because it means it does take multiple people. It, It does require that other person to at least be willing to work on bettering the relationship. And this kind of gets at one of the most important things that I get asked a lot is like, well, should I just tell that person you are an HCP and therefore, you know, you're a high conflict person and this is why this is happening. And as you can imagine, that does not, that does not end well. That does, that usually (laughs) is a huge, I mean, imagine all of you thinking about that high conflict person, imagine going up to them and saying, you're a high conflict person. And you've had this enduring personality condition for this long, right? So deep breaths. We probably have different ways to address, you know, repairing the relationship. One, of course, is family therapy or couples therapy or separate individual therapy. I highly recommend those options because it does work on communication styles and protecting one another and understanding one another. I think sometimes people look to media and look to stories to help them understand themselves. My brand is to write about fictional characters. I just wrote about Marvel's Moon Knight, and he's a high conflict person. So one of the characters in Moon Knight or one of the personalities there is a high conflict person. And so I guess what I'm recommending is that sometimes you can ask people, you know, who do they see in the media or in stories or in characters that are like them and allow that to maybe open up 
some possibility of them realizing like, yeah, I think, I think it's hard to deal with me, or I think it's hard to be in a relationship with me. And then, you know, finally, and again, none of this is easy, but if the person is willing, I think there's some healthy openness and vulnerability that can, for some relationships, not necessarily repair everything, but at least allow them to see your perspective. And this isn't new to anyone. That's a lot of I statements. That's a lot of, remember this conversation you had, this is how I felt when I heard these words, or this is how I've been thinking about this. And I come to you with curiosity and compassion for you. I don't know why that would be said to me, or I don't know why that would come up. And that is not one conversation, but multiple conversations surrounding the possibility of opening yourself up to them a bit and having them potentially be willing to have structure and boundaries. And then, you know, Steph, one of the most important things hopefully I say today is that no is a complete sentence. We can say no and still be in their lives. There are people you may know that you kind of have to build those boundaries around, but there can be a simple no, no, um, I won't do that. I won't go to that event. I'm not going to that family dinner. I'm not answering this call. No. And that doesn't mean you're cutting that person out completely. It simply means that you're preserving yourself. So in your experience, have you ever seen relationships flourish? And when I say relationships, I might mean mother-daughter. I might mean husband-wife. I might mean co-workers. So have you ever seen a relationship flourish in which one of the people is an HCP and the other person is not? I'd say yes. I want to make it clear that what we aren't hoping for is that high conflict personalities or people with high conflict personalities are isolated or abandoned or kind of left, that we're interested in them being in our lives, but that that does not mean at the cost of our own safety, personhood, and ability to thrive and grow. So there have been, it's not common, but there have been relationships that that person is willing to acknowledge that the other person needs that you know, they are able to answer the question, you know, what is that person, that family member, that partner, that coworker, what do they need? They need respect. They need to be treated with dignity. They need boundaries. They need me to understand that no is a complete sentence. And so typically out of the therapeutic process, you can get to those goals. And I think this is a really good question too, because people believe, well, is the therapy goal that they're no longer a high conflict person? No. That's not it at all. The therapy goal is that they understand the needs of the people that they might be harming or abusing or, you know, or dishonoring. Going off of what Roxy just asked, and since you're talking about some solutions, one of those being obviously therapy is something that I think we've all dabbled with. It is not something that my culture dabbled with a lot as a Latina and I grew up with, you know, mental health wasn't even a term in our communities, right, in, in our society until I moved to the States. So what if our parents and our family members aren't even open to going to therapy? Great question. It, even this kind of conversation is really antithetical or not really something that's relatable for a lot of us with family members or origin cultures that weren't really open about therapy and mental health. And I think that it's important to, to recognize that there might be other ways to get those conversations to happen, at least in this context, right? Because I'm listening to your question as a part of the context here, that the what therapy will help do is bring a restorative relationship to one that's been fractured or dishonored or has been abusive, right? And therapy isn't always the answer, but is certainly one that, that can facilitate getting to those goals. There are other ways that people can can manage this. I will say there is a book that's super helpful. It's called The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life. Again, oh. do not buy this book and give it to a person and say, this reminds me of you. Like, you know, be tactful, um, be reasonable. No one's perfect, right? But it's a helpful way too that, you know, there's self-help books and there's ways that we can learn more about why we feel how we feel during those interactions and just trying to maybe bring some of those techniques. Again, these are interpersonal techniques, how to start conversations, how to keep conversations from blowing up, 
how to be empathetic towards someone that you can't relate to, like a narcissist maybe. So what I'd say is that even without therapy, it's still possible to bring in these tools and have an approach just kind of within the relationship itself. Then, you know, third, I'd say that there are maybe other people who can be advocates, supporters, other family members, folks who know that person. Again, this is not about bombarding them or demonizing them because honestly, when I think about or if we think about all of the types of HCPs, often they don't have needs that are met. You know, they don't feel that they're validated or affirmed deep down or they may simply be dealing with trauma as well. So I think that it's possible to have some ways to address those people without therapy. And then I know that it's not for everybody, but some folks do seek other types of healers, traditional healers, um, religious healers, holistic healers. And even though it doesn't address the conversational piece, those may help people form calmness and harmony in their body, which uh, I mean, we hold a lot of anxiety and dysregulation in our bodies, and that can help to bridge some of the conversations that we may have. I know that a lot of this episode is spent talking about dealing with high conflict people because that's the title, dealing with them. But when you do have the option to just not deal with them, so say it's a fresh relationship and you have the option of just breaking up with them or it's a friend of a friend and you could just not be around that person. Is that typically the best choice to not deal with a high conflict person? It's all going to depend on the, the situation itself, but the way that you described it, unless there's some kind of benefit or you know reason why enduring this is a choice. I'd say there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I think for those of us working in our assertiveness, this is where we need to go ahead and realize, like, actually, I see the signs. This is a, an emerging relationship, a new relationship. I don't like feeling this way. I don't like feeling demeaned. I don't like feeling put down. I don't like that every time I have a conversation with this person, it's an argument. And I think those are reasons enough to separate and stop, uh, you know, end, end the relationship if that's at all possible. These are the freedoms that we do have as people, whether we're doing this in social media or whether we're doing this in person, but it's not, how do I word this? Even if we might kind of care about that person in some way, it's not our responsibility to have them work on themselves or to gather more data or to be like, I'm actually not sure I'm going to continue to be in misery until I'm <laughs> absolutely sure this is the 1% or the 10% may not be worth it. So yeah, you got to take care of yourself. I'm a very, uh, I feel like the opposite of a conflict person. I avoid dodge ditch dive conflict. Uh, and I don't know if this has any truth to it, but it feels as though I've had a lot of high conflict people that are attracted to that personality trait in me. I don't know if there's any science between that, but is there something people who really are not conflict people can do to not be attracting that? Or are there personality traits that they are attracted to in that? Well, I'm I'm the kind of person that says you do you like don't be influenced or told to change who you are, if that, if that makes sense. So if you feel that your authentic self actually is not someone who is going to be confrontational or face these kinds of interpersonal challenges or difficult people, there are some people who will go right for it. But if, you know, I think taking a maybe a bigger picture step back, when we find ourselves thinking like, well, maybe I'll change something about me to be different or a way in which people will react to me differently, I think it's a matter of, you know, what what is your goal with that? And to really validate and affirm, like you may, your personality style may not be attuned to that. It may be really challenging to suddenly be able to be in constant high conflict or to be in the arena with these folks. And honestly, most of us don't want to be in the arena with these folks. We want out. But I will say that I do work with folks who have an interest in like building their assertiveness and being willing to create better boundaries around themselves and to recognize right away those red flags when someone in their life or new in their life may be harmful. 
those are techniques and tools that can be protective and can be really good for us. So I recommend looking at those and some are actually in this book that I recommended, but assertiveness skills, self-awareness, much of what we're talking about really comes down to that word I said, interoception, checking in with how we're feeling, what are what's going through our minds, what is happening to our bodies. And there's a lot of signals and cues that can come from that. And we can be really intelligent when it comes to looking at those those different signals and cues. Can we talk about paranoid for a second? Because we have spent a decent amount of time on narcissists. And I think that that is the one that's the kind of person that especially in the entertainment industry, D. Steph and I have come across a lot. Uh, but paranoid's an interesting one because especially with people's baggage or past trauma, paranoia definitely comes into play into several relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships in which I find somebody will think about something that has happened to them before. Maybe they've been cheated on. Maybe they have been ditched or ghosted and they bring that to the table uh, so it's an interesting one to be in the list of HCPs. Can you kind of talk about the difference between somebody having trauma and talking about that and being a paranoid HCP? I think it comes down to how mismanaged, how dysregulated the person actually is. And and so, you know, when we first talked about high conflict people or high conflict personalities, what I wanted to first say was that a lot of times they think the drama is outside of them, but actually they're, it's internal. They're going through a lot of distress. They're managing all these different threats to their, their sense of self. And so with the paranoid type, they are so distrusting. It really comes down to trust. And so they will behave in excessive ways to confirm that other people are lying to them, cheating on them, out to get them, throwing them under the bus, so forth. And so what will happen in their mind frame is just all of these different accusations and considerations about other people. You know, again, it's everyone else's fault. It's not me. And so that's what you'll see more with a paranoid style, looking for evidence and actually trying to confirm that other people are the bad ones. This is that extreme thinking. Whereas I think somebody who might have experienced some negative interpersonal styles or who has experienced even hardship or trauma in their relationships certainly would build what we call schema around relationships. You know, like, ah, it's never going to work out. Or I only get into relationships that are bad for me. Or, you know, these ways of thinking, these cognitive styles that are kind of mean to ourselves and also are very stereotypical or very generalizing. Like everybody who's attracted to me is this or Every relationship I get to does this. So hearing those words like never, everything, everybody, real extreme language. I wouldn't consider those folks paranoid or HCPs because they're working from their own history and their experiences and their thoughts are irrational, yes, but not necessarily about blaming everybody else around them. I think there's a little bit more intuition and self-insight to understand that they've had some negative experiences and that's what they're working from. I'd even say that somebody in that mindset has a much better outcome when it comes to eventually finding a loving, affirming relationship than an HCP who's paranoid. Since Steph brought up the great Bell Hooks and her book where she talks about unconditional love versus conditional love and just how we grow up as humans and not knowing maybe what love is or perhaps just how to deal with emotions because I don't know if most kids are helped by their parents to know how to deal with emotions because it seems like, you know, it's generational trauma, right? That was the villain in Encanto, in Disney's Encanto. So <laughs> is it possible as just a kid that you grow up with different types of trauma because of your parents' and trauma and choose to either be a high-conflict person or choose to let go of the ego and actually become an empathetic person? Like, is it a choice to be an HCP? In some ways, yes. Firstly, most of the time, it's not a choice, given the family example you gave me. Like, if, if there's an early childhood with a serious amount of neglect or rigidity or um, lack of loving and affection, you know, yeah, that's definitely going to shape somebody. 
honestly, that often shapes a narcissist. And so what often results from that is the inherent shaping of that and then the choices. The choices to continue to do things that make them feel protected, safe, to avoid further threat, and to to continue to actually collect evidence that they're right. So as an example, you know, if I was raised that way, and then I, I have begun to treat people um, at arm's length, or, or sort of have this avoidance style or this narcissistic style, you know, eventually people are going to react, they're going to be avoidant of me, or they may even be harsh toward me. And I'll say, aha, there's evidence to show that people are harmful, they're threatening, they don't care about you, they're selfish. I mean, you know, that feels that feels normal, right? That feels natural. So the lifelong collection of those experiences then gives them the feeling of like, no, I'm actually right. I actually believe in this reality. And therein lies the choices, right? They continue to choose how to interact with other people. Do the ladies have any more questions or shall we move on to our last few segments? Well, I know that the patrons have questions. That's right, Roxy. We have a Patreon question as always. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the world girls, the best community on the internet. Today's patron question comes from Ryan Payne. Have you had moments where the job is too much when you need it to take some time away? Yes. Excellent question. A lot of times, and this may not even be true for psychologists or therapists or counselors, I think this could be true for a lot of people who are in service to other people's healing or other people's progress, certainly educators, humanitarian folks, doctors, other types of people who just basically anybody who works with people, we do work really hard to take care of ourselves and to not, you know, internalize some of the things that may be shared to us or with us. I have had clients and and people who aren't my clients say things to me that have been harsh or that have been really painful to hear. More times they're sharing their own experiences, their own histories, and they're painful to hear. And in this time, almost, you know, over two years in th- into the pandemic, there was an incredible amount of suffering. So, Yes, there are times when I do need to step out. I feel like I might, my mind is so maybe overwhelmed with stress, anxiety, and and some of this this trauma, this vicarious trauma, that I need to take a step back and collect myself to reclaim my own sense of self. Like, what am I about? What brought me into this work? You know, connect to my origin story, and then also just really honor my roots. You know, who am I? What am I about? What's important to me? I am not perfect. I make mistakes. I can't save everybody. I'm working on myself, you know, so giving myself those affirmations and those grateful statements about where I am in this world and where I am in my own journey. And that's an ongoing thing. So I am not protected from (laughs) the threats that all of us are talking about, right? There might be high conflict people in my work, in my life, in my family, And those of us who are psychologists and therapists and counselors also think about and deal with how to manage these things in our everyday lives. And that can also be taxing. So I really appreciate that question. Thank you for asking. We really appreciate people like you. We also appreciate Stupid Names for Segments. And our last segment of the podcast is Pros and Cunts. So Drea, I know there's obviously cunts when dealing with hcps but are there any pros yes there are pros we learn more about ourselves you know where our triggers are where our boundaries are we learn what we're okay with and then we learn to assert ourselves and grow and recognize our power so it's not always fun uh, something a lot of us avoid but a pro can be how we can be more empathetic we can be more understanding and and we can actually grow and thrive in our relationships. What is the number one cunt of dealing with HCPs? I'd say the number one cunt about dealing with HCPs is how awful and shitty we can feel in those highly emotional moments. The times in which all of us, myself included, just want to scream and yell profanities and just want to tear our own hearts out of our chests because it's so hurtful and so frustrating. 
there is nothing that makes that really go away, right? That is just us tolerating the shittiness of the moment and getting through it. Oof. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) We all felt that. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Drea, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so educational, therapeutic, cathartic, I think, for all of us, and we hope uh, for our audience, too. Uh, Can you tell our world friends out there a little bit about where they can find you and what you're working on? Absolutely. It would be great if folks can uh, locate and listen to my podcast. It's called The Arkham Sessions. And as I said before, my thing is to talk all about mental health and psychology as it relates to fictional characters like DC and Marvel characters and others. Currently, we're covering the MCU and we just did our endgame episode. So we're vulnerable and raw after talking about that. You can also just find other articles and pieces and things I've done on my website, drdreapsychology.com. Articles on Moon Knight, Homelander, definitely a ton of articles about narcissism, actually, and how they pop up in our in our media. And then finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arkham Asylum Doc. There you go, kids. Follow her. She's great. Hopefully, she'll want to come back. Thank you so much, Drea. Thank you. Well, kids, thanks for being a bitch out of water with us and learning about how to deal with high-conflict people. We appreciate you listening. If you want to be the first to get all things World Girls, go to patreon.com slash theworldgirls. That way you can watch our podcast tapings live, ask questions, and even video chat with us so you can actually see what the hell we look like. We go live on youtube.com slash theworldgirls every Wednesday and Sunday. And don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter and TikTok at The World Girls and on Instagram at World Girls Wop. We're new here, so please tell your friends about us. Rate, comment, subscribe. We're all gonna die. So try not to be a dick and live in conflict. Stay wet, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>